Hi, I'm Sophie Marie Odom, Lifestyle Magazine's editor. And I'm Samantha Rank, broadcaster and disability rights campaigner. And a huge welcome to the Motability Lifestyle Pod. In this podcast, we invite our friends from the disability community into the studio for a conversation about how we can all live our best lives, particularly when navigating a disabling world. And today we're talking romance, because how can we live our best life without it? whether that be with a partner or just some self-love. We will be joined by Dr. Hannah Barn-Brown, disability gender equality consultant, speaker and motability governor to talk about the wild world of dating. This, Sophie, is music to my ears because I think even my cats are willing that I find somebody to go out with because they're sick of me, I think, at this point. Long-term single right here. Hi Sam, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? We have colour coordinated again. I, I, I know, how? how? We don't even speak before the show, we, we, just, don't. we just know what to wear. We're just, we're just, you know, on the same wavelength, we just know, we know what, we know what the people want. I love it. I think that's what it is. I love it. I want to see how long we can keep this going for. <laughs> I think we've jinxed ourselves now though, haven't we? Next week, next week is like the, 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 the clincher. So Sam, I've got mm. a question for you. How do you feel about technology? So, I am absolutely one of those people who has to have the latest gadget on the market. I'm probably showing my age here, but I remember when Furbies came yes. out. Yes. <laughs> so these little, these little like creatures. I don't even know what they were. Were they little mice or? Weren't they based on that film? Oh, um, oh Gremlins. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. So I remember, you know, I love that. I had to get a Tamagotchi. I think technology is wonderful. I'm sat here currently in my electric wheelchair. I am both a manual wheelchair user and a power chair user. And at the moment, I've got a bit of a dodgy knee. And just being able to use my chair that kind of has um, recline, you know, just to take that pressure off. I think technology is fabulous. However, do I have patience for technology? That is a, that's probably a whole different question I so I think it. yeah I think I've got a love hate relationship with um technology how about you I think I'm the same I think we've become so used to things just happening so fast mm-hmm. that when things take a little bit longer we can get so frustrated Absolutely. so quickly I just think that's more and more happening more and more with many more people but um I've been reading some stories about AI and how it could possibly solve the epidemic of loneliness. Wow. So would you befriend an AI, Sam? Well, I mean, probably yes, because actually thinking about all the strife and heartache that I've had in my life, they've come from actual human beings. And I think, you know, I am very much an animal lover. One of the appeals to having, you know, company of animals is that unconditional love you know they don't see my disability and I know that's a quite a loaded statement I don't mean that they you know they're, they're oblivious to my needs etc because obviously they're animals but they don't know that I'm having difficulty or my PA hasn't turned up my cats just see me as their mummy and I feel a lot of fulfillment and joy from you know knowing that they rely on me so much and I think particularly when you face disableism, you know, just going out on the street and you have all these really harmful interactions with 
other human beings who are who are supposed to be empathic and sympathetic and supportive and they they can fail you i understand the appeal of having you know artificial intelligence who who won't judge you for you there is obviously like everything two sides to every story and there could be a danger to isolating yourself even more i think we need human interaction no matter who we are. I know. I mean, I'm conflicted. But just to tell you a little bit about the report that I found. Yes. So robots can be the solution to loneliness, reduce stress, and can help older people remain healthy and active in their homes. Um, what's more, some robots can engage in more spontaneous conversations and even mimic the voices of old friends and loved ones who have passed away. Ooh. So, yes, I mean, I'm a bit on the fence about mimicking voices. I think, for my personal opinion, that's a step too far. But I understand how it could be you know, a way to bring comfort to some people. And I understand the companionship because like you just said, you know, robots could be loyal, just like pets and there's no judgment there. So I understand both sides of the coin, whether I'll be friends with an AI. I mean, who knows? I mean... It's it's really interesting. We often see my mum is a nurse and she uh, works with a lot of our senior members of society and people who have Alzheimer's and so on and so forth. And I think it would creep me out if I heard a deceased loved one if I'm completely honest although my dad died when I was nine and I I can't remember his voice and I guess that is a sadness but I don't think I would want someone to appropriate mimic mimic. however on a health level if someone maybe has Alzheimer's would that potentially jog someone's memory because we understand that the power of music can be so beneficial for people who um, have Alzheimer's so I don't know I oh gosh it's a tricky one isn't it It I quite like having like an Alexa I t- I say goodnight to my Alexa. Do you do that? Is that really sad? I don't have I go, an Alexa. Do you not? No. You, do you think like the, they're, li- they're, <laughs> they're, got, they're listening in? I do. The I'm government is listening. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes I'm talking about something and the next thing it's all over in my phone. Well, luckily we don't have to worry about AI for now because yes. according to another report, robots will be more commonplace, but not until 2050, as in in the home. That's our first reason to be cheerful, looking at the positives. Absolutely. Our next reason to be cheerful is a story about Felix Kleiser. He was born with a limb difference and he plays a 12 foot French horn with his left foot. And from the age of four, amazingly, because not many four year olds will know what a French horn is. um, He knew he wanted to play the French horn. But due to his disability, he was discouraged by a lot of people who thought it might be too difficult for him, etc, etc. But he's proved the doubters wrong. He's traveled the world. He's won awards, released successful albums. You know, obviously, these stories are incredible. And we need to absolutely celebrate everyone who's part of the community who has who has said no if you say no then I'm going to say yes and completely negated all the naysayers so to speak but I also I'm mindful when I listen to these stories that there's so many variables that go into um, success stories you know we have to understand that coming from a socioeconomic background that isn't as rich or having supportive parents so I wouldn't want anyone to you know, feel guilt or like they're not living their best life. I just hope that stories like this do change the narrative. But it's really interesting because I was actually thinking when I read this story, there aren't that many 
famous musicians. Now, I'm not probably the expert in this field, but to come to my mind, there aren't that many neurodivergent or deaf or disabled pop stars or real musicians. Obviously, there are kind of the Stevie Wonder, who is amazing. I know that Lady Gaga has spoken about her invisible disability. But apart from that... I mean, over the summer, we had Lewis Capaldi yes. at Glastonbury, which was a massive Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. That was... If you've, anyone has not seen the footage, I urge you all to, you know, kind of go and Google that. That was really powerful. So he has... Um, he has threats. Is that correct? And sometimes that can manifest on stage. And um, at one point, you know, his Tourette's kind of took over and everyone in the audience kind of really encouraged him and, and supported him. And it was beautiful to see. And it was nice that he could be himself in front of that, like thousands of people. I know. Um, but again, I feel like same with television. We have seen some progression in terms of representation. But I definitely think the music industry lags a little bit when we look at disability. I wonder why that is. I know. I've, maybe we need to do an investigation. Maybe I need to, you know, release my um, Matt, Matt lyric, my little rap. Maybe I can do that. Maybe we can go for Christmas number one, Sophie. I like the idea of that What sound. do you think? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Our guest today is Dr. Hannah Barham-Brown. Hannah is a GP registrar in Yorkshire, a mobility governor and former deputy leader of the UK Women's Equality Party. She was the first visibly disabled political party deputy leader in UK history. And she was named one of the most influential disabled people in the UK. More importantly, she's a good friend of mine. Hurrah! Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the Lifestyle Pod. Hi, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. So today we're talking about dating with a disability. Hannah, why isn't this talked about enough and how can we change the narrative? Because looking at all the dating shows, we just don't see disability enough other than the undateables, which we, I think we can all agree is just shocking. It's a massive issue, isn't it? Because I think you're right, there isn't enough media representation. The only show I think that I can like bring to mind that does this relatively well occasionally is like Naked Attraction. Um, but you shouldn't need to take your clothes off on national TV to be on a dating show as a disabled person and be treated with respect. So I think there's definitely a role for the media in this. But I think also when it comes to being disabled people, if and where we are comfortable, it can be really helpful for us to speak about our experiences Obviously, the onus shouldn't be on disabled people to like fix this and the role of non-disabled allies who may be partners of disabled people getting involved, that can be really helpful as well. And there are some great examples out there of this. So, for example, if you go on Instagram, there's a guy called John J. Reynolds who talks about um, being a dad, raising his very young children and his wife is a wheelchair user. And occasionally he talks about, you know, the experiences of like having young kids and having a partner who's a wheelchair user. But in a really lovely kind of, yeah, this is our family. This is completely normal kind of way. Um, so whilst I don't think we need to use your personal experiences specifically, we can talk a bit more widely about that. And I guess that's something I do quite a lot. So as a GP, my professional interest, if you like, is in sexual health and well-being. Um, and I'm hyper aware that I'm doing that and I'm talking about these issues as somebody who is visibly disabled. And Whilst I might not be talking necessarily about my own sex life, um, which I don't do very often, my dad's a vicar, that would freak him out. It's really important that those of us who do feel comfortable talking about this 
can because it gives that subtle nod of, yeah, this matters to us too. And yeah, I think things like dating apps, which I know we'll talk about a bit later, also have a responsibility to kind of consider the 16 million disabled people in the UK when they're developing their strategies too. So I think there's a lot of ways we can make things better, um, but we need to get a bit more comfortable sometimes talking about it and highlighting the fact that, yeah, we are potentially sexual beings or people who want to have loving relationships or both. Um, And that's okay. That's a good thing. And we should be celebrating that. I think there is still this voyeuristic fascination. I remember when I first moved to London and I was new on the scene for the media and I was constantly undated to do radio, to do magazine interviews and all they wanted to know was about my sex life and me being naive and me just wanting to get, you know, some publicity, I said yes to everything and looking back, I actually felt incredibly exploited because it wasn't beneficial for society, for my own community and I don't necessarily think we have progressed. Yeah I completely agree I think the fetishization of disability is a really big issue when we talk about this I mean I guess I'm really lucky in that I grew up with a visibly disabled mum who was and still is very much married to my non-disabled father and you know they'd met when she was disabled as like 18 year olds and have been married ever since almost um And so for me, it was always completely normal that you'd see a disabled and a non-disabled person in a loving relationship. They would have kids, they would get married, they would do all of that normal stuff. And so when I became disabled, it just kind of became a, yeah, okay, so nothing changes on that front. And God, did I get the shock of my life. But I think it's... It is really interesting how having those role models and having that example meant that I just kind of grew up going, yeah, of course, this is completely normal. And it's the rest of the world that's really behind on this. What about your own dating experience? Because, you know, disabled people have such a a rich and plethora, shall we say, of interesting dating stories I often find. Would you, would you care sharing some of those with us today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I've had a bit of a... I mean, look, disabled people are not a homogenous group by any stretch, are we? So I think, you know, we do all have interesting stories to tell. I think I've come at it from a slightly different perspective in that, you know, I'm a queer woman. So I don't really take much interest in the gender of the person I'm dating. It's more whether or not I'm attracted to them. And I've had relationships with male and female partners. And I guess it was a little bit different for me in many ways in that I was um, diagnosed with my condition when I was 27. Um, I was at that point in a long-term relationship. I'd been running half marathons until my kneecap started dislocating. Um, Should stop running if that happens, top tip. Um, And was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos then and very quickly ended up having to get a wheelchair. And so when that relationship then subsequently ended, having been in a relationship with somebody who'd known me as non-disabled and then had been with me throughout the process of becoming disabled, if there is such a thing, um, it was like a whole new world. It's like, how does one do this? But at least having had that kind of, you know, role model type experience with my parents, I knew that it was possible, right? Um, I also kind of dealt with the fact that I'm very Googleable person, you type in my name. Firstly, I'm the only Hannah Barham Brown, I think, possibly in the world. Um, it's quite a unique name. And also, I've done a lot of getting angry about various things in the media. So if you Google me, you're going to see a woman in a wheelchair probably stuck on a train. It's kind of become my thing. And so there was no point trying to hide my disability from people I might be dating because 
they would find it and then it would just be weird. Um, so I decided I would be very, very open about it. And I guess, you know, one of the ch- more challenging things has been like, people don't know how to act around you in various circumstances. Most of the time it's well-meaning because frankly, if they're not up for dating a disabled person, they shouldn't be swiping on the person in a wheelchair. Like, save everybody some time here. Just, if you can't handle it, don't bother. Don't waste my time. Um, But when I have dated non-disabled people, I found them can be quite anxious about, you know, oh my goodness, is that going to hurt you? Oh my goodness, can you do this? Um, Do you need me to do this? And so I've always been very kind of upfront with, look, if I need something or I need you to know something or I could do with something, the onus is on me to tell you that. And it's really important that any partner I have doesn't feel like they're having to constantly second guess my disability as well. I want them to be able to approach this as they would any other relationship. And the disability side of things is on me. That might not be the way everyone else wants to run their relationship, but it's worked for me in my relationship with my body and my disability. But I have found that, yeah, it's often not the person I'm dating that I have the challenges with. It's the assumptions other people who know that person make about our relationship that can be quite entertaining. So, you know, people do assume that that person is suddenly taking on a caretaker role, that they're going to, like, lose a whole chunk of their life by having to date this disabled woman. Um, There is a massive kind of saint narrative around anyone who chooses to date a disabled person. And, you know, I guess I've seen that played out through my life because... Yeah, my dad is literally a vicar who had a woman in a wheelchair as his wife. And my God, everyone thought he was actually a saint. Like, it was just ridiculous. Um, So I guess I was kind of almost immune to parts of it. But there have been a few kind of inappropriate questions, a few assumptions made that I don't like. But I think as a very gobby forthright person, I've managed to quell most of that early on. And now I'm quite happily in a relationship with a wonderful woman I've been with for nearly two years. We met on Bumble. So if you are on dating apps, it is possible. And actually, it works really well because she is kind of my voice of reason a little bit. You mentioned two things that I wanted to just pick up on and they completely resonated with me. And the first of all is kind of that having to educate people. So I'm the worst at dating. I'm not very proactive. I am a little bit stubborn when it comes to dating. To be fair, I've had some really horrendous dating experiences. I'm a petite statured wheelchair user. I do look different. This one guy was trying to like court me a little bit. And then I, I was on a swing and I was like moving my legs and he went, oh my God, you can move your legs? And for me, I don't want to have to educate constantly the partner that I'm with. But I think you said earlier, it's up to you to kind of navigate and say, well, these are my limitations, these are my boundaries. I actually get quite angry. I shut things down too quickly and I don't know where to set those boundaries. But I think you also mentioned about, and I I said this for a long time, you know, I didn't want a lover to be a carer. And I was really hung up about that because I was like, I felt my internalised ableism, felt guilty for asking for help from other people. As I've gotten a little bit older, I've actually said, well, actually, all relationships have an element of care. So how do we destigmatise? How can we ensure that, you know, we don't have these harmful tropes and and narratives play out in the dating world? Because they do have a significant impact. They definitely do. And I think it's a really good point because when it comes to the whole carer thing, at some point, all of us will need some level of care. You know, we might 
get an unpleasant illness, we might have an accident. Whether or not we become disabled by that, we are probably going to need our loved one to do something for us. Even if we just, you know, get a vomiting bug, you might need to hold your girlfriend's hair back while she pukes. You know, like all of us are going to need a bit of care in some way or attention, (laughs) even if it's just from a hangover. So I think it's okay to have care within a relationship. It's just got to be something that you navigate together as a partnership. And that is going to be different for every single partnership in terms of what each person wants. And, you know, as disabled people, we're not similar. What I want from a partner might be very different to what you want from a partner, Sam. And that's completely legit because we're different people and our partners will, well, hopefully be different people. Um, And so I think, you know, we need to kind of take that into account. And I think... Like when it comes to how we kind of destigmatize all of this, it's part of a far bigger narrative, isn't it? Out with dating specifically. I think this comes down to the fact that as a society, we still have this perception that disabled people are not as capable, are not able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and there are a lot of really harmful narratives that go along with that. And there is so much amazing work going on from, you know, incredible influencers through to authors, through to TV presenters and, you know, the rest of Sam's CV. And Hannah, when people assume that your partner is your carer, because this is something you've spoken about on Instagram, mm-hmm. how do you tackle this? And for listeners out there that may be, you know, in similar situations, what advice would you give them to handle that? This is a challenge that a few of us face. I think it's... Slightly worse for those of us who have partners of the same gender, um, because my partner is a similar age to me and female. And often when you see a woman in a wheelchair accompanied by a woman of the same age, they may well be disabled person and their PA and their carer. In our case, she's my girlfriend. Um, But the assumptions are still made. So you can kind of see where it comes from. And I know that I've been to certain events where people have spoken to her so much as my carer that when, you know, she then leans down and holds my hand or gives me a kiss, you can almost see them filling in safeguarding paperwork. Like, they're just kind of outraged and slightly worried that they should be doing something to save that poor disabled person. I'm like, I'm having a great time. She's really hot. Um, I tend to practice little comebacks in the mirror ahead of time because I'm not very witty. Um <laughs> So I tend to like think like what I'm going to say beforehand or very like audibly call my partner darling or sweetie, um, which you probably wouldn't call your carer. Um, And like sometimes I just play up to it. Like if I have somebody just staring at us who won't stop, that's when I'm going to try and snog my girlfriend. And um, if that makes them feel uncomfortable, then that's on them, isn't it? I love the advice of practicing in the mirror. I think it it goes much, much deeper than just a surface level of, you know, normalising disabled couples. But you also touched upon um, intersectionality and the importance of that. And a lot of feedback that I get from working with my community is that, you know, we we often see disabled people as one dimensional and Mm -hmm. our disability identity is the overarching identity. Um, How has your intersectional identities like impacted, you know, your sense of your own relationship with yourself and then with others. So I think, you know, that infantilization point is really important, is it? Because I have noticed that since I became disabled, it's interesting having had the kind of non-disabled experience and having been visibly non-disabled suddenly become visibly disabled. You do really pick up on the differences in the way people approach you. And I do get that infantilization a lot, though. Um, you know, I've got to be honest, having doctor in front of your name does help. And I think it's really important that I recognise that privilege. Um, Because, you know, when I 
got my I got my ADHD diagnosis only about two three years ago, and one of my good friends who I know only meant well by it went. So let me get this straight, Hannah. You're a wheelchair using bisexual neurodivergent woman. Um. Did you just run out? Did you just need another characteristic? Like, what was going on there? And it felt, and she was just, is this just another thing for you? Um, and it does feel like that. It's kind of like, here's a shopping list of everything that makes me quirky. Um, people are scared of saying the wrong thing, asking the wrong questions, getting it wrong. And whilst the onus shouldn't be on every disabled person to educate, if we do feel able to, if we do feel comfortable to, and we are given a platform to do so, I'm happy to take that. I'm happy to kind of sit there going, you know what? Ask the question. I will correct you. I will educate you. This is your opportunity. So you don't get it wrong for all the other disabled people you meet. Um, So I try and use my intersectionality and all of these different characteristics I have to prove to the world that we're not a homogenous group. Yeah, I'm hyper aware that we have a society that does still put us all into a little box over here, a box that isn't generally wheelchair accessible and goes, right. That's you. That's the 16 million of you that are disabled. Now, if you just sit there, we'll get on with the hard work, yeah? And trying to challenge that and push back on that, I think is really important when you can. Um, But it does feel a bit exhausting um, having all of these different characteristics sometimes. Because also, Mm. there's a lot of letters involved, right? I've got EDS, ADHD, I'm LGBTQ. I mean, I'm acronym bingo over here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, you've got to try and make the most of it. We were talking about AI and the importance of technology earlier on in the show. And obviously, online dating apps, you mentioned that you used Bumble earlier. I absolutely hate them. But there's a there's a kind of seriousness about it because a lot of these platforms use algorithms. And I actually sat before today's show and I thought, which dating app that has a advertisement on TV or radio... I've never really seen a disabled representation there. So I think that's, you know, like a real, real big flag for me if we're not even visible on these dating apps. But it also reminded me of an episode of um, How to Get Away with Murder and a wheelchair user was suing an app because he said that it discriminated against him because of his disability. And they, they got away with it because they ultimately said, you can't force someone to fancy someone in a wheelchair. But it was a really interesting talking point because... Actually, you know, I, I I seem to attract a lot of men that their first thing are, I enjoy long hikes. And I'm like, good for you. They I will not be joining you. Um, <laughs> they all love a hike. So, so you know, anyone who is uh, looking at joining dating, online dating sites, what would be your, your top tips, you know, to safeguard their mental health and also just to kind of navigate some of the major pitfalls that are still existing in on online um, spaces? So I think first and foremost, yeah, apps do have a massive responsibility that they're completely ignoring at the moment. And I think one of the challenges I know when I started dating as a visibly disabled person was you had, as you say, all of these apps that didn't seem to have any disability representation. So I had to decide whether to be out about my disability in the same way I had to decide to be out about my sexuality. Um, But then I also kind of found myself going, right, either I use these mainstream apps where disability almost doesn't exist um, or I go for one of these kind of other apps, which is for disabled people, which I find equally problematic. I'll be honest. I mean, I hate the phrase interabled relationships. I just have a relationship. But I find the whole kind of like, here's a dating app for disabled people. So disabled people can meet disabled people. I'm so like, I'm sorry, why do we have to narrow our pool to 23% of the population? 
as opposed to the rest of the world that gets to date anyone they bloody like. Like that that doesn't seem like a solution to me. That just seems like, again, putting us in a box. I think when it comes to apps, you have to decide what you're comfortable with and what information you're comfortable putting out there. And it is really challenging. I made the conscious decision to put my first photo was me sitting in my wheelchair. And I'm pretty sure it's been a while, but um, if you look back at it, I'm pretty sure my profile says something about... Um, my legs don't work very well, but I'm still able to kick an ass when necessary or something like that. Um, because I thought it was really important that I kind of went, yeah, look, I am visibly disabled. That is who I am. And if you don't have time for that, then swipe away. I don't have time for you. That is a decision I made. I think it's important when navigating dating as a whole, that we think about who we are and who we want to be and whether we're happy with our own relationships to ourselves. Because I think particularly disabled people, there is a lot of internalized ableism out there. And we're kind of constantly told from birth, you're not going to be able to do this. You probably can't do that. You shouldn't do this. And it's very hard to undo that thinking. So I think before anyone starts dating on any format, you have to work out your relationship with your own body. Because we need to be able to communicate what we're comfortable with, what we're not comfortable with. There shouldn't, the owner shouldn't be on us to educate, but to an extent, everybody needs to communicate their preferences in any kind of relationship, disability or no. I think there's more of that for us because of the nature of who we are. Um, and if you can't sit there and say, actually, I don't like doing this, I'm not comfortable doing this. If you don't have that relationship and sexual literacy and fluency, whether or not you're disabled, that's a problem. And this is why I spend so much time looking at like sexual education in the UK. A relationship should always augment who you are and your life. It shouldn't take it over. It shouldn't be the one thing your life is based upon. And if you're looking for a relationship to kind of fix something, you probably shouldn't be going into a relationship at that point because you shouldn't be relying on another person to fix you because you're perfect just as you are, she said, spouting more cliches. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, Hannah. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. That was a really good, brilliant interview. Lots of food for thought there in terms of relationships with others, but more importantly, like you just said, a relationship with ourselves. Before you go, we have a little thing going on where we ask our previous guest to ask our next guest a question. So our previous guest, James Freeman, has asked you, have you had any crazy stories regarding your disability? Oh, um oh gosh yeah quite a few um I decided I mean like who hasn't let's face it we haven't it. got all day my love <laughs> right here's the memoir um no I so when I first got my wheelchair I decided to take up wheelchair basketball because I played it a bit before as a non-disabled person and loved it um Unfortunately, my condition EDS means I do dislocate things and I dislocate everything. Um, so yeah, throwing balls and that sort of stuff, often my like wrist would follow and just come out of joint. Um, and there was one um, basketball match I was playing and it was quite a big and important match for a women's team that was very new. And you only get so many points that you're allowed on the court at any time. And each player is allotted so many points depending on their disability. The more disabled you are, the fewer points you get and you want as few points on the court as possible. Trying to explain wheelchair basketball in a second is really difficult. But yeah, so I had to stay on the court because I was the most disabled person on the team. And if I'd said, no, I can't play anymore, then we had to forfeit the game. So I dislocate my wrist on a basketball court in the middle of a game. And I kind of went into full doctor mode 
and relocated it myself, uh, strapped it up and insisted on continuing to play, um, which was incredibly stupid. And I haven't played wheelchair basketball since because I injured myself quite badly. Before we let you go, my darling, have you got a question for our next guest? But we're not going to tell you who the guest is because it's a bit like a Russian roulette here. Um, have you got a... It can be anything. It can be Ooh. off the wall. You, you go for it. Okay, so I hate it when people refer to disability as a superpower. So if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I love that question. Oh, I want to answer already. No. <laughs> it's not wait, for you, Away, Sam. away, away. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the episode, but before we go, there's one more segment left. And we are joined by a very special guest. Oh yeah, it's Karcha with me. It's Karcha. I don't I can't remember the last time when I sung, but I'm just gonna go for this, cause it's Karcha with me. I think I liked that one more than the previous yeah. one actually. I, I thought, can't remember. I, getting but I mean I am getting better. I mean I'm I'm giving you the best of Samantha Rank right oh, I, here. I felt that. It felt like it was the best. It I loved it. <laughs> That's right. If you didn't hear, it's Matt Lizamore, our in-house car expert, here to talk about all things cars. So, Matt, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Yeah, good. What have you got for us today? Uh, today, I'm talking about features that you might want to look out for on your next car. So, uh, obviously, some people might be new to the scheme or obviously haven't. Uh, come around to looking for a car for a few years now. So just going to go through a few bits that might make your lives easier or just a bit more comfortable. So uh, I'm just going to jump straight in, okay? Okay, for it. So in at number one on my list, heated seats. So this one, the reason I'm going for it first is because whenever I speak to people at the big events or whenever we have any motability events or even on social media when people write in what they like about their cars, by far the most often mentioned thing is heated seats. Um, so I feel like people should know what they are. It's pretty self-explanatory, but in case you're unaware, you can press a button and it warms up your seat. It warms the back and warms the face. I feel like I need to interject. Go on, Sam. So as someone who is always in a wheelchair, it feels like I'm always in a wheelchair, um, sweaty bums are, are not a pleasant thing. So that I'm, is true. I am confused <laughs> by individuals that want to purposely <laughs> give themselves a sweaty bum bum. <laughs> Explain. That's a good point. Uh, so there's there's two main benefits to this. Uh, one is the winter months when it's very cold. Ah. It just warms you up a bit quicker than, than the vents. So that's a bonus. The other thing that, that people often mention is people who have sort of chronic pain, uh, particularly with joints, back pain, etc. They find it's a, a big relief uh, for their back pain, etc. So there is that, which is a big bonus. Um, the flip side of that, the remedy to the sweaty bum, as you mentioned, is uh, some cars also now have ventilated seats as yes. well. Now, that's a bit more of me. I can't deal with the heat, so ventilated seats are a dream. Uh, and that just basically blasts the air conditioning through the seat itself so you get a nice cool back and cool bum. And, and armpits as well, because, yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse, yeah. is there? Yeah. Really. Yeah. Loving it. What's next? Fantastic. Um, and I'll tell you what, and there's a final bit to that, although this is a little bit rarer, there are some cars in which you can get massage seats. So if you're feeling particularly bougie, you can get a little back We're not Elon Musk, all right? We're not on that level. <laughs> next up, number two, keyless entry. So this is getting more and more common, thankfully. Um, and basically, it means you can get in your car without actually getting the keys out and having to press a button. Now, if you're like me and have 
lots of pockets or have put your keys somewhere in your bag. Or and the man. Like, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Or, or if your keys are buried at the bottom of a bag or something like that, it's a real pain in the bum. But as long as you're close enough to the car, there's usually a button on the door handle that you can just nudge and a doors unlock. So it's very handy if you're... And also some people just struggle with keys and having to actually press the button and, you know, if you've not got that much dexterity. dexterity. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that's great. And the same for the car. You've not got to try and fit a key into a slot that you can't see and whatnot. How safe is that, realistically? So is it like a thumb... Is it in recognition like your phone where you do a thumb print or... I mean, are there people out there already going, I know how to scam that one. I mean, <laughs> be honest with us. So, yeah, kind of. Um, so... It, it's safe enough in that you have to be very close for the car for it to work. Okay. And and the same with starting the car. You have to have the key in the car. If you try and press the start button when the key's not in, it will say, you haven't got the key, get out of here. Uh, so, yeah, you do have to be close. There is an issue with people stealing cars by, uh, essentially, they if you leave your car by your front door, there's people who can sort of use some equipment to sort of jack the signal, boost it, and then use that to wow. open a car. So that that is a problem. It's not as much of an issue on brand new cars but it is still it is a bit of a problem uh but there's lots of ways around that a just don't leave your keys by your front door but b you can buy uh boxes that um i forget what the technical terminology is but there's boxes to put your keys in that shield the signal so that's quite a nice straightforward easy way to remedy that um next one parking cameras parking cameras are a blessing obviously parking sensors are helpful as well and an awful lot of cars now come with rear sensors as standard which is good um but a parking camera is just a nice added extra so uh, if you're like me and you sort of struggle to turn your head and neck to look behind you it's much easier to look at a screen and be able to see everything that's going on that's yeah that's really interesting because before i moved to london i did actually go to a center to look at whether i could drive or not and i had to do some of the you know head turning motions because of my spinal view I've got quite good flex towards my left, but I've got limited Mm -hmm. to my right. And I think, I mean, we're talking over 12 years ago now, so it's really nice to know that, you know, the technology is advanced so that I won't, you know, that won't be a hindrance anymore. That won't be something that will, you know, stop me from being able to drive. Because as we know, it's not long now. I'm going to start doing the vroom, vroom, vroom. Exciting. (laughs) That's how I can't, that's how I can't vroom, vroom, vroom. That's what I sound like. Beep, beep. But absolutely, as you said, that is it is a fantastic help for people with sort of slightly limited range of movement. Um, and on top of the reversing camera, there are now cars that have a 360 degree camera, and you kind of get this clever, almost top down view. So it looks like as if you're looking down from above the car, and you can see oh, all no. around it. That's too much. That's <laughs> <Is> that too <laughs> far. That's too, too far. That's too far. Lost me. You've lost me on that one. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it is useful for. It's useful for knowing that you've parked in the bay within mm-hmm. the lines. <laughs> if nothing else, it's really nice for lining your car up in a space. Uh, but yeah, the reversing camera enough for most nice uh so after that we're looking at powered tailgates so a, what, what? a powered tailgate so effectively the boot a powered boot if you Just like say boot then boot <laughs> tailgates become the become the the, oh, the fashionable term oh please <laughs> <laughs> So a powered boot. Uh, so basically, what is a powered boot? Uh, it just sort of opens itself effectively. So you would press a button on a key or. Even better, you can, some of them you just wave your foot under the rear bumper or your hand under the rear bumper. It's often easier if you're in a wheelchair. Uh, and then the boot opens and lifts itself. Really great when you're trying to dispose of that body, you know? <laughs> exactly. I was going to say it's really good when you got shopping. <laughs> <laughs> we are not that the well. same person. We're really on a different level. <laughs> 
absolutely. Hands full of shopping or, or a body that you want to dispose of, you can wave under the car and the boot opens for you. Uh, and the other reason that's helpful is some boots, particularly if you need a bigger car or you've got an SUV, the boot is actually really quite high yeah. when it's open. Uh, and if you're in a wheelchair, it's going to be actually quite, or even if you're just a bit short, it's going to be quite difficult for a lot of people to actually reach the boot to pull it down. And often that requires a lot of strength as well, mm -hmm. which not everyone has. Um, so it, it's, it's quite nice then just to be able to, again, just wave under the car and have the boot close itself and you can be on your merry way. Next up, adaptive cruise control. Uh, annoyingly, car manufacturers tend to put their own name on this, so it's not often a universal term. Sometimes it's things like smart cruise control or whatever. Um, so that's a little bit annoying. But what it is, is there is cruise control, right? Where you set the speed of your car and your car will carry on at that speed. So you're on a motorway, I wanna do 70, you set 70 and your car goes at that speed. Adaptive cruise control basically has a bunch of sensors in the car that can detect the car in front of you and what it will do is uh, change the speed of your car to match that of the car in front. Mm. So you maintain a safe distance. So it's a bit less faff than, because it's very rare these days on a motorway where you sit at a constant speed without Absolutely. cars slowing down and you find yourself turning the cruise control off and on and off and on and it's a real faff. So this, if it's, there's just a bit of variance, it just takes the fuss out of having to turn it off and on, it will slow down. And with a lot of newer cars, uh, particularly auto so automatic cars and electric cars, they often have a feature where it will also creep along in stop-start traffic, which is a real dream, because otherwise you're sort of doing a little dance on the pedals and it gets a bit of tiring. So it will sort of stop and start and keep moving with the flow of traffic. And then once everything gets up to speed, your car will do that and, and maintain a safe distance to the car in front. So that just takes a lot of the it takes a bit of the energy out of doing longer, more stressful journeys, if you like. I'm not going to lie, I'm just actually thinking about who I would bump off first. Uh, <laughs> you've been listening. Just making a top ten list in my brain. Sorry, you have one more, yeah? I mean, if you want to stick on that, that theme, the, yeah. another one that is quite useful is the... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, a very so you can basically get cars where you can change the height of the boot floor, uh, and the reason that's useful is some cars the floor is actually quite you have a lip and then the floor is quite a lot lower, and it's then actually quite difficult to for some people to get stuff out because you then got to lift up out and mm. over a high boot lip. Now while you want you do want sometimes to have that extra boot space, a lot of the time you're not filling your boot entirely, and it's easier if it's just in line with the boot lip and you can almost sort of drag stuff. Not out. seen my list yet. I mean I could. Uh... <laughs> quite happily fill that space. <laughs> it might make it a bit easier for you to get. <laughs> that would be quite good because I used to be an avid car booter. So I used to always do car boots growing up and I know that they are very, particularly in the north, they are very, very popular. So you could just cram a load more stuff to sell, couldn't you? That's it. There you go. Perfect. Uh, next up, electric seat adjustment. Now, one of the things some people find difficult is manually adjusting your seat, uh, particularly because it often takes a lot of leg strength to move a chair backwards okay. and forwards. And obviously, you know, if you don't have that or that's not an option for you, then moving your seat is incredibly difficult. Um, so a lot of cars now will have a bunch of buttons by the side where you can electronically adjust height, move forwards, backwards, lumbar support, all of that kind of stuff, which is great. And often with those, the added bonus is that they have a memory function where you can actually save settings. So you can save sort of one, two, three, four settings. So if you share your car with someone else, it's brilliant. You've not got to spend ages getting comfortable oh, each journey. You can just nice. press number one or number two, and then the car will automatically shift to how it was saved previously. So that's a dream if you share your car with someone who doesn't quite have the same proportions as you. What is the gadget of the week? Because it's my favourite part, because let's face it, they're normally useless, but we can have, <laughs> we can have a good giggle anyway. <laughs> I've got, right, I've also got a bonus one this week as well. Elaine, our producer, is probably going to throw something at me because <laughs> I already talked for too long and now I'm adding in a bonus one. But first up, 
cool box cool box for the car now i'm someone who likes a good snack on a long journey i like a snack i like a cold drink i can't i can't deal with room temperature drinks i just can't no physically can't drink that. them right I want, no like, one does I want my drink to be as cold as it can possibly be without having to chew through a block of ice basically <laughs> so so you can basically buy a cool box that you can plug into the little 12 volt thing in the car keeps all your stuff cool and obviously there are more practical uses for that obviously some people need to keep certain medicines cold and insulin and uh, are you thinking about keeping bottle? <laughs> You can't fit a body in it, right? I'm thinking this part. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of snacks, medication, foods, and whatnot for long journeys. Who knows? Baby breast baby milk. milk yeah. yeah, baby milk. Yeah. That kind of thing, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> my bonus one, Sam, which I think you'll enjoy a bit more. Or maybe not, actually, because it doesn't involve disposing of, <laughs> of dead bodies. <laughs> I saw one the other day, and I don't know anyone who's actually bought this, but I feel like it's, it'd be... A fantastic idea. Uh, I, I saw a set that you can sort of clip onto the vents in your car, and it's basically something to hold your fries and dip. Oh, so wow. you go through a drive through fries in the holder, dip in the holder, and you can just do a little that dip and munch as you drive. Where do I get that from? Amazon. Okay. For, and probably other stores as well. I'm sure other online retailers are available. <laughs> but, but don't they already do that? So, you know, when you get your burger, mm. it's got a hole in the middle where you put the drink with a straw, and then it opens yep. up and you put your fries in your burger. Like that. So McDonald's is already ahead of the game. <laughs> there are other burger games <laughs> <laughs> available. <laughs> the only downside to this is I don't, I don't want people getting ketchup and barbecue sauce on my car. But yeah. hey, so long as you, so long as you're careful, what a way to snack Ooh, on the go. Barbecue sauce. Curry sauce. Yes. Sweet and yeah, sour. I, I, oh no. <laughs> Matt, thank you very much. I'd just like You're to add as welcome. well, some of those um, features that you mentioned earlier, we do talk about them in the latest issue, don't we? We do. The August issue of Lifestyle Magazine. So yeah, pick that up if you haven't read that already. But thank you very much, Matt. A pleasure as always. Thanks very much for having me. And that's it of this episode of the Motability Lifestyle Pod. Thanks to our guests, Hannah Barron-Brown and Matt Lismore. Thanks to our producer, Yelaine Goffa at Rethink Audio and our editorial assistant, Lucy Rhodes at Wonderly. If you like this episode, follow us, tell all your friends and please leave a review. If you want to tell us what you thought or if there's something you'd like to hear, come and say hello on our Instagram. For some behind-the-scenes content, follow us on TikTok and watch the full video on YouTube. You can find us on motability underscore lifestyle underscore mag. Finally, if you want more information about motability schemes, go to motability.co.uk. Or if you want to learn more about motability, the charity, visit motability.org.uk. And that's it, everybody. I have been Samantha Renk. And I'm Sophie Marie Odom. See you in two weeks. Bye-bye.